Now we're going to be looking at, um, you have the passage there on page 79, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 to 10 and 18 to 23. But before we get to that, I want to just get the setting. As Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers, he doesn't seem to have been addressing any particular theological or moral issue or problems that they were going through at that time. He had already spent three years in the city on his third missionary journey, and the church there had already benefited from the ministries of others like uh, Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos who were uh, associates of Paul and they were under Paul's ministry as well. Rather than, than intervening in problem areas, Paul wrote to emphasize the significance of the believers as the body of Christ and began by stressing the blessings believers have in Christ. And sometimes we forget the blessings that we have in Christ. Uh, Paul reminds us of that, of all those blessings that we have. Sometimes we get uh, uh, feel pitiful and throw this great big pity party for ourselves because it seems that the whole world is against us. And we forget all of the blessings that God has bestowed upon us and all that we have is a part of being members of the incredible body of Christ. Okay, look at the first question on page 77. What's your favorite way to honor other people? What is a favorite way to honor others? Your favorite way? Love them. Love them? Okay. Show them expressions of love. What else? Tell them you appreciate them. Tell them you appreciate them. Do something tangible to show them that you appreciate them. What else? Care for them. Care for them? Okay. Care for them, meet some particular practical need. Uh, give them a hug. What is the most common way that people show honor to others? Gifts. Gifts, okay. What else? Helping them with something. Helping them with something, okay. Huh? Pray for them, okay. What else? Invite them for a meal. Invite them for a meal, alright, that's good. But there's one particular way that people look forward to being honored. What's that? We all have it. Birthdays, got it, alright. Birthdays, that's what I was looking for. Birthdays. And for instance, birthday, we show them honor. You know, someone sometimes they get a whole lot of gifts. Right? And they get a big birthday cake that's all theirs. They cut that cake and they give it to whoever they want to get to get the first piece too. So that's one of the ways that we show uh, in a practical way on a more consistent basis how we show honor to others. Notice the point on the top of page 78. What does it say? Honor Jesus as Lord. And we're going to look at the significance of what it means to honor him as Lord as we move on. Okay, look at page 78. Look at the section that says, um, Bible meets life. Could we have someone read that, please? 
The Bible needs life. I love movies, good movies at least. But sometimes after the credits roll, I find myself wondering what happened next. As an example, the classic book and movie Gone with the Wind ends with this statement. After all, tomorrow is another day. People used to ask the author, Marge, Margaret Mitchell, what happened when tomorrow came? What happened to Scarlett O'Hara? Mitchell never had an answer. She had no plans for a sequel, and as far as she was concerned, the story was over. <laughs> Jesus' earthly life ended with a great climax. His resurrection, post-resurrection appearances, and a physical ascent to heaven. But have you ever wondered what happened next? To put it another way, what is Jesus up to these days? The story continues. Jesus is exalted to heaven, and the book of Ephesians gives us a glimpse into his role and reign right now in our lives. As we look at Ephesians 1 and explore exalted state of Jesus, we'll see how we are to live in response to him. Okay, and that's how we are to live in response to him, not just as the... Uh, the, the one who died for us, but as Lord of our lives. Okay, let's look at the passage then on page 79. Someone read verses 7 to 10, please. We have redemption in his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he planned for the administration of the days of fulfillment, to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth. Okay, thank you. The letter to Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul most likely sometime between AD 61 and 62, somewhere in that time, but in that time frame, during his time of imprisonment in Rome. Now you would think that, you know, a person locked up in jail, they'd find something to do. Well, Paul did. He wrote to the believers. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14 makes up a single, exceedingly complex sentence. All those verses from verse 3 to verse 14 make up one complete sentence in the original Greek language that is. So if you read the Greek from verses 3 to 14, it's one, just one sentence. It is not broken up like how we have it in the, in the Bible today. Okay, it's one long sentence in the Greek. It's, a, it's as though once Paul started writing with the wonder of God's plan of salvation, he couldn't find a place to come to a stop. And so he kept on going and going and going and going. This passage falls naturally into three sections. The work of the Father in planning salvation, that's verses uh, 3 to 6. The work of the Father in planning salvation, verse 3 to 6. The work of Christ in accomplishing salvation, verses 7 to 12. And then the work of the Holy Spirit in securing our salvation. Verses 13 to 14. So if you broke that passage up, you could break it up into those three uh, segments. Remember, however, that everything in these verses flows from the words, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we have to always be praising the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done. But let's look at some of those words in the passage that we read. And look at the significance of those words. So one of them is redemption. See that one? Redemption is one of, the, one of several biblical terms used to describe salvation. It refers to the payment of a price or a ransom in order for someone to be set free. And we hear that phrase ransom over and over again, especially in these times that we live in with, with piracy and, and, uh, and all that stuff that's going on. The blood of Jesus, the death, or the blood of Jesus was the price that was paid uh, to free sinners from their bondage to sin. And so there could be no other price paid other than what was paid. Because there's no other price that's greater than the price that was paid for our salvation. The price Jesus paid on the cross, and that alone makes possible the forgiveness of our trespasses. There's another word we see in that passage, right? The word forgiveness is another word. And it refers to what? The cancellation of debt. Uh, we see that in Matthew uh, chapter 18. The basis of God's actions in redemption was was and is the riches of his grace that he, another word, we see, lavished on us. And we look at that one too. We still don't deserve forgiveness, but he loves us. Don't think for a moment that any of us deserve forgiveness. None of us do. But God still loves us. In other words, God loves us in spite of ourselves. In spite of how difficult we could be and how rebellious we can be, God loves us nevertheless. But then let's take a term lavish. Lavish means what? When you hear the word lavish, what comes to mind? Extra. Okay, and not only extra, but, you know, tremendously beautiful, splendid, beyond the ordinary extra, right? Huh? More than that. More than that, okay. It means more than enough. It means to abound in excess. And so God has been extravagantly generous to us. The riches of his grace toward undeserving sinners has overflowed with a is overflowed like a tremendous, mighty waterfall. Like when you look at the, the Niagara Falls, you can think of his love overflowing like that. And so lavish means a whole lot more. In excess, abounding. And then there's that word grace. And we know what that is, right? God's what? Unmerited or undeserved favor. God giving us what we don't deserve. Not only does God lavish upon believers the unmerited gift of redemption, but he also provides the wisdom and understanding that we need to live properly in relation to him and what he has accomplished for us through our redemption in Christ Jesus. And so there's a whole lot more to this grace. And then there's that word wisdom, which means seeing things that, as they really are, not as everybody else sees them, but from an eternal perspective. And that's the way believers ought to live. Many times we live from a temporal perspective on the same level as everybody else. Looking at everything that everybody else is looking at. But we need to look at everything from an eternal perspective. Looking beyond. And then there's that word understanding. And it suggests the ability to solve problems and make good life choices. 
That's what it means. When we talk to somebody and uh, we're trying to explain something to them, we often ask them, do you understand? Why? Because we want them to be able to get it so that it benefits whatever we do. We're telling them it benefits them for their good. Okay, and so the word understanding suggests the ability to solve problems uh, and make good choices in our lives. And then in verse, uh, verses 9 through 10 of that passage that we read, we, we see another word uh, that we find many times in Scripture, mystery. It is a spiritual truth that previously had been obscured or hidden, but is now made known to us. God decided in the, in the process of time to reveal something to us that was in the past not been revealed. Paul rooted this new revelation in God's good measure in eternity past, which is God's will, is certain to be accomplished. It will be accomplished because God will make it so. The apostle also looked ahead to the days of fulfillment when those mysteries that the Bible talks about would come to become a reality in the lives of those who make up the incredible body of Christ. And so God's plan is more inclusive than the salvation of individuals. He will bring everything together in the Messiah. The entire universe will finally one day add up. Today it don't seem to be able to make sense or come together, but one day it will all add up. A way uh, to translate, bring everything together. God is the only one who could bring everything together, and one day he's going to do that. Everything will be recognized as submitting to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing and no one will escape, whether in the supernatural realm, that is in things in heaven, or in the natural realm, things on earth. Paul was not teaching universalism. No, that's not what he was teaching. Some people think that's what he was teaching. The notion that every person will eventually be saved. And that's universalism. That's what people think, oh, I don't have to worry about it. I can live my life happy-go-lucky, do whatever I feel like, because eventually, eventually, everybody gets saved anyway. That's the teaching or doctrine of universalism. And many people believe that. And that's why people, some people are not checking about getting saved. But what a rude awakening they'll have one day. Rude awakening. Rather, Paul was stating that one day every part of the universe will be renewed and brought into subjection to its true Lord. And so Paul was not teaching universalism in terms of everybody being saved eventually. He was teaching that God is going to bring the chaotic universe as we know it today into subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything will be the way he desires and wants us to be. Okay, look at the second paragraph on page 80. Let's have someone read that, uh, read that, that one past, past paragraph. Whenever I pour, can someone read that? Likewise, Jesus Christ brings. The one that says, uh, it starts with whenever I pour. And the top off. Right. Well, the top's on that point, you said the second. Yeah. Well, I said the second to the last. So that's the top one. Yeah. Whenever I pour. Okay. Whenever I pour myself a cup of coffee, I always add cream and mix it together. At that point, a union has occurred, 
I once had black coffee and white cream, but now I have brown coffee. If I take the coffee with me into my office, the cream comes too. If I take the cream with me into my den, the coffee comes too. Nothing can separate the two once they have been joined. Okay. Likewise... Hello, that one there. Yeah, go ahead with that. Likewise, Jesus Christ brings all things together, together in heaven and on earth. Paul wrote in Colossians, He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. Okay. In Jesus, the one who stands exalted like no other, you will discover both the fullness and summation of everything you'll never need in heaven, you'll ever need in heaven and on earth. It's all there in Him. Everything you need for victorious Christian living. Uh, the four passages I want to highlight here, and that's why I had you read from the beginning, but the second to the last passage I want to highlight is it says, so, so we often forfeit Jesus' power and authority simply because we do not remain in Him. That's what we want to highlight and emphasize here. Colossians 1.13 tells us, God has rescued us from where? the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves in other words we used to belong to Satan's kingdom but now as a believer you are part of a new kingdom where Jesus Christ is king Satan can do nothing to remove you from God's kingdom but he will do his best to get you to ignore the kingdom rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he'll do whatever he can to distract you from allowing Jesus to be Lord in your life. Satan's influencing believers' lives because they are yielding the power to him. This is not because of any rightful authority he has, but simply because of a failure to align their thoughts and decisions under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. By not exalting Jesus Christ to the proper place in our lives, homes, and churches, the first place he deserves, we miss out on the benefits of his covering. Do you want the benefits he provides his people? Then remain in him. It's that simple. We want those benefits, then we're going to remain in him. And the passage, the Bible tells us that if we abide in Him, He abides in us. Isn't that so? Okay, look at the next question on page 80. Question 2. What does it say? It causes us to honor Jesus as Lord in some areas of life, but not in others. Okay. What causes us to honor Jesus in some areas of our lives? but not in others. In other words, we are selective in how we honor Jesus. You know, we can honor him in this area, but uh, I don't think we deserve it. He deserves no honor in that area. What causes that? What do you think causes that? Huh? Because you're not fully submitted to him, right? That's a good answer. If you're not fully submitted to someone or something, you're not going to honor that person or thing in all areas. You're going to be selective in honoring that person in, 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 in some areas and not in others. Okay, look at that same section on page. So read, record some of the ways you show honor to the following people. Choose two. You see that? Parents. Spouse, boss, government. You don't have to give the answer right now. You could write that down for your own uh, benefit. But it says choose two. 
Uh, it's either parents and spouse, or boss and government, or boss and parents, or spouse and government. Choose two. What are some of the ways you can intentionally show honor to Christ? Now that's a question you could answer. What are the ways you can intentionally show honor to Christ? Praying to Him. Praying to Him. Well, you know, the Bible tells us that we pray to God in the name of Jesus. And a way of honoring Him is to actually pray in Jesus' name. Remember the Bible says, pray in, Jesus said it. He said that whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will give it to you. I will do it. Okay, and now we don't show honor to Christ when we pray and, 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 and we don't pray in His name. So it's a good practice when we pray to say in Jesus' name. You know, we pray to God in the name of Jesus. And that's the, that's the way Jesus taught us. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay, Jesus, that, that's the model that he gives us, gives us to pray. And we honor him when we pray according to that model. Now some people pray and go all over the world, and they never mention Jesus' name. Okay, but one of the ways that we honor Jesus is to pray in his name. That's one way. What else? Loving each other. Loving each other. Uh, Jesus mentioned about loving. Uh, he, he gives us many examples in scripture. And so we honor Jesus when we follow the, the admonitions or the instructions or the guidance that he gives us on how we are to show love for others. What other ways do we honor Jesus? Obeying his word. Huh? Obeying his word. Doing what he says. Now you can show disrespect to a person when they tell you specifically what to do and you don't do it. That's one way of ignoring them. And when you ignore a person, you, you're not showing them honor, right? No. What else? There's somebody else there. Encouraging each other. Encouraging each other. And the Bible talks about that too, how we are to encourage one another. And so there are a number of ways that we can intentionally show honor to Christ that we are probably not doing now, or we're not really conscious that we're doing uh, now. Okay, let's look at the other passages uh, on page uh, 79, verses, read someone read verse 18 to 23, please. that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his vast strength. He demonstrated his power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put everything under his feet and appointed him as head of everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Okay, now you notice the significance of right hand? What is the significance of right hand? Authority, strength. Notice a little caption on the side of that. What is it? In the culture of Paul's day, to be seated at the right hand of a king was to be given what? Ultimate authority. High authority. You were the next biggest boss in, in town. Okay, ultimate authority within the kingdom. And we saw many of God's chosen choice servants given that place of authority. Remember Joseph? He was next in line to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, and nobody in the kingdom is going to be higher than you except me. Okay, he was Pharaoh's right hand. 
And normally when we have a person who is helpful to us, person who is beneficial for us, to us, we call them our right hand. You don't call them a left hand, right? I said, that's my right hand man. Whatever you need, you talk to him. He'll take care of it. Your right hand. Okay, let's look at... Uh, Let's look at some of the paragraphs on page 82. This is Dr. Evans uh, gives us some metaphors here. Uh, let's have someone read that. Uh, the first two paragraphs on page 82. In a football game, the players power over the referees. The players are bigger, stronger, and more powerful than the older, smaller, and often out-of-shape referees. In a game, the players can use their power to knock you down, but the referees can use their authority to put you out of the game. In other words, never confuse power with authority. Okay, the next one. Satan may be able to knock you down. He has more power than you, but he has absolutely no authority over you if you're a believer. On the cross, Jesus Christ deactivated, dismantled, and disarmed Satan's rule over sin and death. Colossians 2, 13, God gave the ultimate authority to his son. He has placed all things in subjection to Jesus. Okay, now notice, Satan may be made. He may be able to knock you down. He has more power than you. But he has absolutely no authority over you if you are a believer. Now some believers act as if Satan does have authority over them. They quiver and they shrivel under his, uh, his, his, his taunts like Goliath. Uh, like the Israelites taunted, uh, shriveled under Goliath's taunts when he came out there. And David had to step up and say, man listen, who do you think you are? You know, uh, and we do that as believers. Notice the question on page 82. How do you respond to the truth that Jesus has authority over your, day, your everyday life? How do you respond to that truth? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus has power over your everyday life? Yes. But sometimes we don't act that way, do we? But you know, know man, once you get into the Word, this, you, can, you have that power. When Say you just get it, but just say a word or something goes. But once you get it, one and hang it that way, you have you know you're going to always say. That's why it's important to start the day with that. With the word. Okay, let's look at the other paragraphs then on page 82. Yes, Satan will try long and hard to hinder anyone who has an abiding relationship with Jesus. You can count on that. That's going to happen every single day. He wants you to ignore the authority and rule of Christ in your everyday activities and decisions. Now sometimes we do that, we don't even realize it, but that's what he wants. That's his plan, that's his agenda. And he sometimes he's successful at it. At it. He wants you to do that in your day-to-day -day activities and decisions. Be careful. Yet acknowledging and remaining under Christ's lordship and authority will protect you from Satan's onslaught. See how important it is to honor Jesus? Later in Ephesians, Paul wrote that God made us alive with the Messiah even though we were dead in trespasses. By grace, you are saved. He also raised, you, raised us up with him and seated us with him 
in the heavens, in Christ. It's according to Ephesians 2. So when Christ died, you died with him. When Christ arose, you arose with him. When Christ sat down at the right hand of the Father, you sat down with him. For you to gain access to the authority which comes through the perfect union of Jesus Christ, bringing heaven to bear on earth, you must abide in him. And that's the key, abiding in him. Jesus talked about that in John. To abide means what? To dwell, to align your thoughts, choices, and perspectives under God's thoughts, choices, and perspective. So it's clear what it means to align, right? If we read God's word, we know what God's thoughts are, we know what God's choices are, we know what God's perspectives are, and we just line up ours with His. It means connecting with Him and honoring Him in everything you do. Not some things, but every single thing you do. That's what it means to align. Look at the question then on page 82. How does acknowledging Jesus' authority over every area of your life benefit you? You get the victory. Okay, you get the victory. And that's important. Everybody wants to win, right? That's right. And not even the numbers people talking. Okay, everybody wants to win. Nobody wants to be on the losing team. Anybody here want to be on the losing team? Everybody wants to be on the winning side. Being with Jesus is on the winning team. Okay, remember he got the victory. And the victory he got is shared with us. Okay, uh, let's then look at verse two, uh, 22 and 23 again on page 79. And he put everything under his feet. Notice. This is Jesus talking about now. He put everything where? Under his feet. Now what 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 happens when you put when you put something under your feet? You have authority over it, right? You're in charge. Okay, whenever you put you 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 are getting a, in a squabble with somebody and you put your foot on that person, you they are submitted to you, right? This is what Jesus, he put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church. Which is his body. The fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. In verse 22, Paul quoted from Psalm 8-6 with words... He put everything under his feet. And so Paul is quoting one of the psalmists here when he makes that statement. There, the psalmist was reflecting on the grandeur of mankind created in God's image as the pinnacle of creation. You realize that you and I are the pinnacle of God's creation? The crowning glory of God's creation. Yet human dominion has been distorted by sin and human rule over creation is often abusive and corrupt. And we see that over and over and over as we get closer and closer to the coming of Christ. We see that happening, how the dominion of human beings have been distorted by sin. Thus the psalmist also looked forward to the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ, in whom the true dominion of God intended for humanity has been established. 
And so the psalmist was looking forward to some things too, just like we're looking forward to. The supremacy of Christ raised from the dead and seated at God's right hand is summarized by the phrase, appointed him as head over everything. God has appointed Jesus as head over everything. He is the big boss in charge. The term head is related to Christ's authority and rule over everything. He, remember there's a passage that says, everything was created for him, by him, and through him. That's John, right? And that's what makes him the head over everything, and ruler and authority over everything. Nothing is excluded. Everything in heaven and on earth, the seen as well as the unseen. In other words, what you see and what you can't see, all of that has been submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the term everything is used twice in this verse for emphasis. Therefore, one reason for Jesus' supremacy over everything is for the church. Verse 23 reminds us of the analogy to human anatomy. We can understand how Christ is the head and the church is the body. What is puzzling, however, is the phrase, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Now, we kind of, kind of, what does that mean? What is he saying? Where does that come in? Well, due to the difficulty of the grammar in the Greek, there have been multiple interpretations for that phrase. That phrase, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Uh, theologians have come up with multiple interpretations for that. Here are some of them. First, at least three of them. First, the fullness can refer to the church as filling Christ. That's one interpretation of that phrase. The second, it can refer to Christ as the fullness, that is, the complete expression of God. It's a, that's a plausible one. And then third, it can refer to Christ as filling, it can refer to Christ in the sense that it is filled by Him, who is the one who fills everything. Meaning he exercises his, his, his sovereign rule over all things. And that's the one most logical one. He exercises sovereign rule over all things because that is the case. Although he fills all things in a special, unique way, Jesus is constantly filling the church with his presence and with his power. And that's an ongoing process. It happens every single day. It's happening today here in Calvary Bible Church. It's happening in other churches around the globe. Jesus Christ is filling the church with his presence and his power. The Lord of the universe has been pleased to express his fullness in the church, to which you and I have the privilege of belonging, not only belonging, but being a part of church comprises of believers, individuals, who make up the incredible body of Christ. Okay, look at uh, page 83. Because you follow Christ, He now intercedes on your behalf. See, that's another benefit of honoring Christ. But the only way to experience his saving power on a daily basis is by aligning yourself under him. When you do that, you experience the blessings of his care, another benefit of honoring him. But know this, 
Experiencing a blessing includes the ability to both enjoy the favor of God in your own life and extend His favor to others. We are not to be cul-de-sac Christians. You know what a cul-de-sac is, right? You know what a cul-de-sac is, right? Huh? Yeah, I live through a cul-de-sac. It's a dead end. And there's a benefit to living through a cul-de-sac. You know, the way with all the traffic, when my daughter wants to ride a bicycle, she can just go out and ride up and down because nobody's going to be speeding through there at 100 miles an hour. Okay? And so we have Christians who, who enjoy being cul-de-sac Christians. We don't want anybody to interfere with us. We don't live in our own, my small corner. I in my small corner and you in yours. Okay? So we are not to be cul-de-sac Christians. We are conduits. God never intended for his blessings to stop at our own lives. He desires for us to be channels through which his blessings will be delivered to others. And there's a song in our hymn books that we sing all the time, channels only, channels only. That's what we are to be. Channels always, channels only. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. As we see in Ephesians uh, 1, 2, 2, 22 and 23, as we've just seen, he established the church as his own body, of which he is the head. Okay, the head is not the senior pastor or the board of elders or whoever. Jesus is the head of the church. In other words, all those who hold positions of headship in the church get their marching orders from Jesus. Okay, he is the head of the church. As his body, we are called to serve one another. Notice, serve one another, not be served by one another. Okay, that too, but we are individuals to serve one another, love one another, honor one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, instruct one another. Essentially, we are to reflect the honor, the, reflect and honor Jesus in our words and actions with one another. And there's a whole list of passages in the scripture that are referred to as the one another passages. Our vertical relationship with God, our intimacy with Him, and our access to His authority and blessings is tied to our horizontal relationship with His body, the church. Because Christ is in us, others should be able to see Jesus in us. He is our head, and we are His church. His family of believers are His body living under His Lordship. We are to function fully under the direction of our head, Jesus Christ. We are to reflect and honor Jesus in all, not some, but notice, in all that we do. We are His hands and feet. You realize that, right? We are the hands and feet of Jesus. If we don't do it, it ain't going to be done. And so because you follow Christ, He now intercedes on your behalf. But the way, the only way to experience a saving power on a daily basis is by aligning yourself under Him. Second point, Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly, as we saw in John 10.10. 10. As we see in Ephesians 1.23, He established the church as His own body, which is His head. And then we are to function fully under His direction as our head, Jesus Christ. We are to reflect and honor Jesus in all that, not somebody, in every single thing that we do, we are to reflect Jesus Christ. And that's why uh, we are told that uh, 
we uh, we give God a black eye sometimes by the things that we do because we are supposed to be reflecting Jesus. The next question, question number five on 83, page 83. What steps can our group take to honor Jesus as head of the church? As members of the incredible body of Christ, what steps can we take to honor Jesus as head of our church? Especially, huh? Love one another. And that's a key point. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And uh, that's basically one of the key ones that we need to have. And another one is to give one another. To give. Forgive one another. Okay, the early church was... You said forgive or give? Forgive. Forgive, okay. Forgive. And then they use the excuse, Charles, forgive you, but I ain't gonna forget. You know what that means, eh? That means I don't forgive you. Whenever a person says, tell you, I'll forgive you, but I don't forget, that means that they don't forgive you. They keep beating you over your head with that same offense, whatever it is. It means that you've not been forgiven. Okay, uh, the point again, to emphasize the point, uh, we are to honor Jesus as Lord. Okay, let's look at the live it out here as we wrap it up. Uh, look at page 84. How can you honor Jesus with your thoughts, words, and actions? Consider the following suggestions this, this week. Here's a way that you can honor Jesus during the course of this week. Based on what God spoke to you today, both verbally and uh, that in your heart. Let's put it that way. Okay, because all of us may have heard and congregated together in terms of this passage, but God spoke to each one of us here today individually in terms of what we need to do. Okay, uh, the first one is thoughts. At the end of each day, ask yourself, did my thoughts honor the Lord or was I preoccupied with myself? That's something we can do every day. Think about it. At the end of the day, did I honor, did my thoughts honor the Lord or was I selfish in my thinking? And then words. Make it a habit of showing Jesus honor through your words by talking to others with the honor they deserve as people made in his image. Set a goal of avoiding sarcasm and negative speech for a full day. Can you do that? Notice that. Avoid sarcasm and negative speech for one, just one day. Think you can do that? Just one day. Not the whole week, just one day. During the coming week, just one day. That's such a good challenge, eh? And then actions. Keep a journal for one week. Okay, this is the one week thing now. Keep a journal for one week of how you spend your time. After reviewing your journal, assess if you are honoring Jesus with the first place position in your life. That's a good exercise. Try it this week. Just one week. Seven days. The life and ministry of Jesus does not end. He is in his rightful and exalted place in heaven and he is in you. Let his life and ministry flow 
through the story of your life and mine. Let it continue. As we go through the course of our lives, let the life of Jesus Christ continue to flow through us. Amen? Amen.